Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Scott Poling. We all know it. We've all seen it. A peaceful country has been invaded and barrage of missiles have been unleashed and tanks are rolling in the streets and people are fleeing. Families are separated. Many are huddled in subways, sleeping overnight there. And civilian men, age 18 to 60, preparing to fight to the death. A lot of pain. A lot of suffering. A lot of turmoil. And the problems of this world, they just seem to escalate. And some problems, some problems are on a worldwide, global scale. But yet some pain and some suffering is very personal. It's very private. The pain of the world, everybody watches. Maybe your pain, no one knows about it. They don't see your struggle. Oftentimes pain and problems, they they come in unexpected and unannounced. It's kind of like a hit and run accident. Only when you get hit, the pain doesn't seem to run. Sometimes it just kind of seems to linger and stay there. When I get hit, it seems to throw everything out of whack and out of rhythm and you too. And and our life gets out of sorts. And it's during those difficult times in our lives that it's easy to feel overwhelmed. It's easy to spiral down and give way to a wide range of emotions like anger and despair. Frustration and self-pity and confusion and hopelessness, pessimism, cynicism. And my prayer for you today is that God is going to ground you and calm us and help you and guide us and free us from worry, from fear, from anger. And we're in the middle of a new series called Stay Positive. And for some that may just sound really shallow. Stay positive. It's so cliche-ish. Well, God's word has much to say about staying positive. As a matter of fact, he gives us a godly perspective, a biblical perspective during the difficult times in our lives of how we should respond. And I've never done a study for a sermon quite like this in 27 years of ministry systematically working through scripture, studying the purpose behind pain and the purpose behind problems. Last week, we were reminded of of God's sovereignty, that it all works together for good, and that God is in complete control at all times over everything in our life, working everything together for good. It is his promise. And I want to look at two passages off the, off the bat here. They're, they're not our primary passages, but what they help is they help funnel my mind where it needs to be with a proper perspective on pain and problems. And my prayer is it'll do the same for you. The first one comes from the wisest man who ever lived, King Solomon. Ecclesiastes 7.14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider God has made one as well as the other. Consider that, think on that, and think on it deeply. God has made the day of prosperity that you enjoy, and God has also made the day of your adversity when you go through it. He's made both. Think of the suffering of Job, standing over the caskets, the dead bodies of all ten of his children who died in one day, weeping, confusion, His entire life savings is also gone, completely wiped out, all of his businesses. His body is ravaged with disease from the top of his head to to the bottom of his feet. And his wife in Job 2 tells him, his wife says, are you still holding on to your integrity? Oh honey, it's going to be okay. No. Why don't you curse God and die? You're despicable. Look at your life. Look what has happened. Look where God has led you. Just give up. End your life now. It's not worth living. And what does he say? You speak as a foolish woman speaks. See, be very careful. Sometimes in the pain and during deep sorrow, it's in those times you may not receive the best advice from the best people. 
even those close to you. And his response is this. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? And through all this, Job did not sin with what he said. Should we accept only good in my life? Should you accept only good in your life? How should we not accept adversity? How can we only accept good and not also accept pain and sorrow and hurt and problems? You may say, Job, how can you say this? The last thing in my life and the last thing you want in your life is more pain. The last thing we want are problems. This doesn't make any sense to me, Job. Why should I accept pain and problems? Give me one good reason. Oh, there are many good reasons. And that's what we're going to learn today. And my prayer is that God is going to change you for the rest of your life. And he is going to give you a perspective on pain and problems that maybe you've never had before or you needed to hear again. And that you will carry this with you for the rest of your life. Every time you go through pain, every time you go through problems, every time you face suffering or sorrow. Because the first thing that we learn is that pain and problems drive me to the word of God. They drive me. See, during times of pain and suffering, I'm like a drowning man in an ocean of confusion and despair, fearing the worst of what could or might happen. And, and it's like my life has been capsized and I'm upside down being beaten and battered by wave after wave and I'm gasping for air, trying to get above the waves and I'm drowning in my sea of sorrow and loneliness and pain. And, and it's during those times I cling to the Bible. I cling to verses. I cling to passages like, like a drowning man clings to a life preserver. The word of God is what keeps me afloat, people, when, when I'm in that time of pain. And this morning, my, my prayer is that I'm going to be able to th throw you a verse. I'm going to be able to throw some of you a passage. And you're going to hold on to it like you've never hold, held on to it before. And you're going to be reminded your God does love you. And he does care for you. And he is sovereign over everything you're going through. And there is purpose in that pain. Keep holding on and keep trusting him. But some of us have to learn it the hard way. Sometimes we have to learn it the hard way, the, the importance of God's holy word. I remember years ago, Carl and I were traveling, uh, traveling through Tennessee with all of our little, little kids. And we stopped at a ranch in Tennessee where she had worked. And, and we got to the ranch and we were walking around and I was carrying one of my, my kids in my arm. And there's this beautiful horse right on the other side of the fence. And, and I just had to pet that horse. And, and, and so I, I leaned over and with the soft part of my skin, I just touched this little metal wire. Whoa! That was an electrifying experience, people. I didn't grow up on a farm or on a ranch. Or I had no clue, but I learned really fast to understand. And I was holding my kid. It's a good thing I didn't launch him into space at that time. I want to tell you something. Affliction is a wonderful teacher. Pain is a wonderful teacher. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 gives us a couple important truths when it comes to pain and affliction. Psalm 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, oh, now, I keep your word. Oh, I, I learned my lesson, Lord. I, I learned my lesson. I, I keep your word. I pay attention to the details of this book right here because this is my protection in life. An electric fence has a way of getting my attention. Pain of a bad decision gets my attention. The consequences of bad choices renew our appreciation for the holy word of God. And I'm going to do it your way now, God. Pain has been good for me. Look at the next verse in, in Psalm 119. Verse 71, go down to that one. See, it was good for me to be afflicted. It's good that you face pain. It's good that you go through that affliction. Why? So that I could learn your statutes. See, pain is a wonderful motivator to learn the word of God. And pain is an incredible teacher of the word of God. And some of the toughest times in my life have given me the greatest appreciation for this good book. I remember a time in my life, it was about a two-week span that was very, very, very difficult. 
And just about every single night, I would wake up between 2.30 and 4.30 in, in the middle of the night, and I couldn't go back to sleep. My head was spinning, anxious, fearful. And I had my Bible on my bedside. And I would get up every time I woke up, and I would get on my knees, and I would open up my Bible, and I would read those same verses every single time and memorize those verses and hold on to those promises from God. God's word is my life preserver. And pain and problems drive me to the word of God. Pain and problems also produce a growth in depth and maturity that I would not otherwise have in my life. It's during times of pain and problems that we go deep in our walk with God and we grow and we mature. How many of you guys are ready for spring? Anybody? Ready for warm weather? How many of you have a garden? Can't wait to get your garden in and everything. Okay, some of you have gardens and you plant and you put the seeds in and everything else. One of the best things for a garden is manure, man. I mean, woo, that stuff stinks so bad though. But it's like nothing is better for your garden and for those, those plants to grow than manure. Understand something. Pain and problems are your manure. And there's no better fertilizer for your faith than pain and problems. And sometimes manure gets mixed into your life. And you don't like the smell of it. You don't like the look of what's happened. But let me tell you something. Nothing is going to grow you better, deeper, and mature you more than manure in your life. Those pain and problems. The Apostle Paul had the right perspective in Romans chapter 5. He says, and not only that, meaning he looks back, not only do we boast in the hope of God's glory, so we can boast in God's glory and the hope of God's glory, and then he turns the corner and says, but we also boast in our manure. We also boast in our afflictions. We also boast in our problems and our pain. Why? Because we know that affliction produces endurance, and endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. Do you understand what he's saying here? Stop your whining about your pain and problems. Stop complaining about everything wrong in your life. God is saying, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of listening to you whine and moan about your pain and your problems. Enough is enough. See, some of you came to church tonight and you didn't realize you made an appointment with a spiritual chiropractor to do an attitude adjustment. <laughs> yeah. Because some of you need an attitude adjustment. Because all you do is moan and complain and whine and gripe and God is tired of it. Because he's allowed that into your life for a good reason. You don't like the smell of it, but it's going to do good things for you. And he says, I want you boasting about it. Why? Because you know affliction produces endurance and you know endurance produces proven character and you know proven character produces hope. And he starts with affliction, pain. Problems, they're good for you. And the word affliction literally means pressure. It means when you feel there's so much pressure in your life and you're overwhelmed in your life and life is being squeezed out of you. And most importantly, the context was the pressure of persecution and suffering as Christians. That's what Paul was pointing at. And he says affliction produces endurance. It's gonna give you staying power and make you stronger and give you perseverance. In other words, what pains us trains us. Say that to the person next to you. What pains us trains us. As many of you know, I love to run. I love to run in the winter. It's some of my favorite running is on frozen rivers and frozen ponds. And about a half mile into a recent run with my friend, I saw Jason. Where's Jason Mick? Jason, raise your hand over there. Right over there. He, he took this picture of what happened to me right there. <laughs> I went right through the frozen pond. It wasn't as frozen in that section, okay? And by the way, it was a 16-degree day. And so I was totally soaked from the knees down, all wet, everything else. So, so of course I went back to the car, dried my feet, and went home, right? No. I got six and a half more miles to get in. And so I'm going to run that with frozen feet. You darn toot, and I'm going to run that with frozen feet. And you may say, how can you do that? Because what pains us, what? Trains us. You need to understand, I've run 100-mile races through the night, single track, in the mountains, by myself. And, and one time I got injured and had to walk 30 miles, all right? Another time I've crossed seven or eight stream crossings and my feet were frozen. This is only six and a half miles, people. That's nothing. 
That's not long enough to do any damage. I know some of you are thinking the only damage is up here. I understand that. All right. What pains us, it trains us. Now, I want to give a little disclaimer to any kids here. Don't go on any ponds by yourself. Make sure you understand. I, I've been doing this for years. I know the depth of them, the, everything. So please, and I'm with somebody. Endurance, though, this affliction produces endurance, and then endurance next proven character. And we're going to see more of this later, but, but what it means is this. You come out of this on the other side, you've proven your faith is genuine, and your character is real. You are a true Christian. And then he says this next, and proven character produces hope. And that's kind of what Andrew was talking about and that song was talking about. The pain and the problems of this life just whet our appetite for heaven and the glory of God. And what a beautiful thing that is. Come Lord Jesus. And so pain produces this growth, depth, and maturity. Paul talks about it. James talks about it. A similar passage in James 1. Consider it a great joy, similar to boast about it. Attitude adjustment. My brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There it is again. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Comes with a sense of urgency. Consider this and consider it right now. And he says, whenever it happens and whatever it happens. And you don't know when it's going to happen sometimes, that pain and those problems. Whenever you experience various trials, whatever. And various trials literally is multicolored, variegated. It means the trials in your life are going to come in all kinds of shapes and sizes. And they're going to come in all kinds of lengths and degrees. And some will be financial, and some will be relational, and some will be occupational, and some will be physical. Some will be, I don't know how to pay the bills, and what, what am I going to do with this inflation? And some will be, you're relational with marriage, children, friendships that are suffering. Some will be occupational, losing a job, needing a job, not knowing what to do with the job. Physical, sickness, disease, death of a loved one. He says, the testing of your faith, all of these hap things happen, they produce endurance. Your faith is going to be tested. You need to expect that. Your faith in God will be tested. Faith is the number one target of the enemy. You need to understand that. President Zelensky of Ukraine is the number one target of the Russians. They want him dead. He's the inspiration right now for the entire nation. I'm staying here, I'm fighting with my people. He's just, he's just encouraging and inspiring them. That's what faith does. Your enemy wants to destroy your faith. He hates your faith. It's your faith that keeps you going. You are saved by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to what? Please God. Take up the shield of faith. It renders the enemy's arrows useless. He, he wants everything possible to destroy your faith. He doesn't want you trusting in God, believing in God, growing in your faith in God. That's why he doesn't want you gathering with God's people, listening to the word of God or reading the word of God. Because faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. If he can keep you away from the word, he can keep you away from the house of God, he wins. I want you to understand this. Faith will be a target. But faith will also be a test. And God will allow your faith to be tested. Why? Because untested faith isn't really faith. Untested faith really isn't faith. See, God wants to know, do you really love him? Do you really trust him in the pain? During trials? In the sorrow? He wants to know, do you, do you really believe my promises? He, he wants to know, do you really believe that I am going to work everything together for good? See, God says in this verse, testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect. He wants the fullness of the effect of the pain and the afflictions and the good that they will bring. I love banana bread. I love banana bread. I just ate a piece of banana bread before the service. I, I love banana bread. I do, okay? And, and, but I, can I tell you something? I hate half-baked banana bread. Blah. 
Yeah, it's like gooey in the middle. It's not completely done. It needed more time in the oven. Listen carefully. Half-baked problems or pain in your life don't do the job. You're gooey in the middle. God is saying you need more time in the oven. What? God, take me out of the oven of this affliction. God, I don't want any more pain. And God is like, I'm turning it up a little bit. No, 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 no. You're gooey in the middle. You're not done. You need a little bit more pain and you need a little bit longer of the pain because it's going to make you delicious. It's going to make you something special is what it's going to do. And while we say, no, 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 God, God is saying, I got an eye on you in the oven of your affliction. I'm not going to overcook you. You're going to be fine. And I know what I'm doing. Trust me. He tells them three reasons why I'm leaving you in the oven. That you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. So it matures us, meaning fully develops the traits of Christian character in my life and your life. And I can't fully develop without pain, and neither can you. And it completes us, completes our growth. Acts 3.16, the same word is used of the crippled man that is restored. It brings wholeness to who we are. He wants us whole in our walk with him, not crippled. And then you lack nothing, means full development. And where does this all start? With pain and affliction and problems. So they drive me to the word of God and they produce growth, depth, and maturity. And thirdly, they teach me how to comfort and care. See, through pain, God is developing in me a heightened sensitivity for others that are going through sorrow or pain or problems. And it all starts with God's comfort toward us. 2 Corinthians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Two titles that he uses here. He is the Father of mercies. He's not the God of pain. He's not the God of cruelty. He's not the God of wrath. Do you realize he's the father of mercies? That means mercy originated with God. Mercy was God's idea. All along, that was his idea. And what a wonderful idea it was. See, God meets us in his mercy. Much like in Exodus, I'm reading through Exodus. God tells Moses, I will meet you there above the mercy seat. God meets us in his mercy through his son, Jesus Christ, who died for our sins. That's how God meets with you. He meets you in his mercy. You realize every single day you experience his mercy, Lamentations chapter 3. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies, what? They never end. They are new how often? Every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Many of you appreciate your morning coffee. That's nothing compared to morning mercy. Give me my cup of morning mercy, Lord. Pour it out. Some of you think you can't survive without coffee. The people around you may not be able to survive you without your coffee. You can't survive without God's mercy. And you realize he fills your cup every single day with mercy. And he tops it off throughout the day. He just gives you more mercy. As a matter of fact, Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will follow me, what? All the days of my life. So he's the father of mercies, and then we're told he's the God of all comfort. Mercy originated with God, it was his idea. Comfort originates with God, it was his idea. And he comforts us, it says here, in all of our affliction. So God gives us comfort anytime we experience pain and problems. Understand that. By the way, the Holy Spirit who indwells us is called the comforter, the paraclete, the counselor. And God comforts us so that we can comfort others. That's what he says. So that you may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So it doesn't matter what kind of pain someone else is going through or problem they are facing. You can comfort them. You can show them mercy and kindness and care. And some of us are not very good at that. We're hard-nosed, unmerciful. And God may just need to inflict a little pain in our lives to tenderize our hearts 
and to get our heads in the right place. Because he wants us to understand how to comfort others, to be a conduit of comfort. And those who have received the comfort of God are best equipped to give the comfort of God. And what has come to us every single day, mercy, should flow through us every single day to others, mercy. Pain and problems, they're good for us. They drive us to the word and they produce growth, depth, and maturity maturity, and teach us how to comfort and care. But there are times that God comforts us, but there's also times that God has to correct us and he uses pain. The next thing we learn is that pain and problems purify my life from sin. My dad disciplined me growing up. Maybe he should have done more on frozen pond situations, but anyway. He, he corrected me. How many here? How many here you had dads discipline you and they disciplined you well, man? Sometimes it was physical, Woo! okay? Sometimes it was verbal. Sometimes it was loss of privileges. Why did my dad discipline me? Because he loved me. He wanted to teach me the difference between right and wrong. God loves you. And God wants to teach you and me the difference between right and wrong. And so God disciplines his children. Always perfectly, always out of love and fair. Psalm 119.75 I know, Lord, that your judgments are just and that you have afflicted me fairly. Now, I've made mistakes disciplining my kids. At times I've been too harsh. At times I was too lenient. At times I had the wrong kid for the crime. Oh, you know what that's like, parents. God never makes a mistake. He's never too harsh. He's never too lenient. He always gets the right guy. Okay? And I want you to understand, even when others afflict us, the affliction is from an all-knowing, sovereign, in-control God. What do I mean by that? Joseph was severely afflicted by his brothers. They hated him. They throw him in a pit in Israel. They rip off his nice coat. They smear blood all over it. They sell him as a slave to Egypt. He's gone. And then they lie for 22 years about his death to their dad who thinks he's still dead. They don't know. Maybe he is dead. And there's this big reveal down in Egypt as, as, the, as the brothers come down to get food years and years later. And Joseph knows who they are. And the big reveal. Look what Joseph does in Genesis 45. I am Joseph, your brother, he said, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. You sold me, but God sent me. You afflicted me, but God allowed the affliction. Genesis 50, 20, you planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring about this present result and the survival of many people. There's always purpose in pain. There's always purpose with problems. One of the best passages that teaches God's discipline is in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons, and then there's a quote from Proverbs 3. My son, do not take lightly, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly, or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you're without discipline, which all receive, then you're illegitimate children. You're not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live? For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but, but God, he does it out of our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. So again, he works on our attitude. He says, you need to understand purpose with suffering, and you need to endure it, okay? Don't, don't take it lightly, but don't take it heavily. Don't take it lightly. Stop complaining about your pain and your suffering. There's purpose behind it. But don't take it so heavy that you want to lose heart and give up. Because God's got his eye on you in that oven and it's not going to get too hot. He doesn't want you gooey in the middle. He wants you mature. 
and complete. And he says, endure suffering. And then he says, oh, by the way, expect suffering. He disciplines the one he loves. Does God love you? Answer. Then expect his discipline. He's going to spank you. He's going to allow affliction in your life because he loves you. He punishes every son, it says here, he receives. He's dealing with you as sons. And if he doesn't do this, you're illegitimate children. And you're not a child of God. And so every child of God is disciplined, has been disciplined, and will be disciplined, or you're not his child. Now, please understand, not all pain and suffering is because of sin. No, that's, we understand that. But some pain and suffering may be because of sin. So during times of pain and suffering or sorrow in your life and trials and problems, I think it's a good thing to seek the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, am I going through this for anything that you're trying to correct me on? Are there actions I shouldn't have done? Are there attitudes that I've had that are wrong? The truth may be, yeah, and God has now got your attention. And it's time to confess those things and make it right with God or with others. I want you to understand, though, just like with my kids and your kids, we see what's going on. God sees us perfectly. And there needs to be discipline at times. And for some of us here today, God sees what's going on in your life and it's not right. He knows you know his word and you're ignoring it. You know the rules of the house, so to speak. And therefore, you're good. His commandments are not burdensome. And you've decided to do it your own way. Please hear this. Today is your warning from God. He sees the sin. He knows the sin. And he's going to deal with your sin. Confess your sin or he will discipline you. Get your act together. This is your warning from God. You've seen the passage, and you know the truth. So endure it, expect it, and submit to it. He says, shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and and, and live? And so submit to whatever the discipline is that God is allowing you to go through because there is purpose behind that pain. And don't fight it. Don't be like my middle son, Weston, when he was little. Yes, middle son, Weston. He had gotten in trouble for something and Carla and I talked and we understood the situation and we're careful with discipline in our home and we gave it time and then I went up to, to talk to him and apply the discipline, okay? And I noticed as I was getting ready to apply it, that his backside was really well padded. He had put on 10 pairs of underwear, that kid. (laughs) He had prepared, okay? He was not going to submit to that discipline. Let me say, well, why does God discipline? Why? He tells us, verse 10, it's good for us. It's for our benefit. And then secondly, he says, so that we can share in his holiness. Do you realize he wants you to shine in holiness? And and pain and problems he uses in our lives to help us sparkle in holiness. Look at the lady next to you. See if she has a diamond ring on. Everybody look at the diamonds around you. Ladies, put put your your diamond ring up, okay? All right, my guess is your diamond doesn't look like this. This is really dull, uncut diamond. All right, no shine to it at all. This is how a diamond is supposed to look. Look at it, just dazzling and beautiful and bright. And some of you ladies are thinking, I should have cleaned mine today. How how do you make that second diamond look like that? What is up? Well, a diamond cutter maps out the diamond, determining the shape he wants it to take. And then he marks it to indicate the cuts and where they'll be. And then he saws it with either a laser saw or a saw containing diamond dust, because diamonds are the only things that can cut the hardest hardest thing in the world, and that's diamonds. And, And he does that. The cutting there is just to break it into smaller pieces than to work on it. And then he calls, it's called brooding it. He brutes the diamond and he spins two diamonds together at high speed, removing the rough edges, okay, the rough spots. And then he polishes it. But polishing, is it, polishing it is different than what you and I think of polishing, okay? This actually removes bits of stone to form it and shape it. And this is where the facets take place and more cutting takes place, okay? And there's upwards of 57 facets or cuts, on the diamond that you have in your ring. Think about that. 
And it takes upwards of two weeks for this entire process to take place. And if the diamond cutter cuts it too deep or too shallow, it loses all its brilliance. Think of all that goes in to shaping a diamond so that it sparkles and so that it shines in brilliance. Think about all that goes in to shaping a Christian so that you shine and sparkle in holiness and brilliance. You know what God has to do? He has to take a spiritually dull person like me and you. And he has to map out our lives because he wants us holy. And cuts, multiple cuts, and he uses pain, and he uses sorrow and suffering. And some of those tools seem to spin us around and we seem confused and nope, he's in control. And he polishes us. And it doesn't just take two weeks. He's been working on me for a lifetime. And he'll continue to work on me, Philippians 1, 6, till the day of Christ Jesus. And he's been working on you, Christian, for a lifetime. He wants us sparkling in holiness, is what he wants. And not only holiness, but also righteousness. And that's verse 11, Hebrews chapter 12. What does it do? These trials, these pains, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Righteousness. You know what God wants? He wants you thinking right. And pain helps us do that. He wants us acting right. He wants us speaking right. He wants us living right. And it brings out this peaceful fruit. That's how righteousness is declared and, and described as peaceful. Well, see, when I live a righteous life, it brings peace to my life. When I do something wrong or unrighteous, there's conviction and there's shame and there's guilt and there's no peace in my life. Righteousness always brings peace. Unrighteousness always brings chaos. You see that on a global scale right now. Unrighteousness has not brought peace, but chaos. The same thing happens in a family. Unrighteousness brings chaos in that family, brings chaos in that workplace. Isaiah 32, the result of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quiet confidence forever. So thank God for pain and problems and all that they do and help us in our lives. They drive me to the word and produce this depth and maturity and growth and teach me how to comfort and care and purify my life from sin. And not only that, they help me be humble. Pride is a very real danger in my life. And pride is a very real danger in your life. And pride comes with serious destructive consequences. Proverbs 16:8, pride comes before destruction, an arrogant spirit before a fall. Proverbs 18, before his downfall, a person's heart is proud. Pride was the undoing of the greatest created being ever made, Lucifer, the covering cherub before the throne room of God. Augustine said it was pride that changed angels into devils. And we see that with Satan's five I wills in Isaiah 14, his arrogance. The Apostle Paul needed to be protected from pride. And he'll teach on this. Paul was given this incredible privilege above all others in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians. He, he's caught up into the third heaven. Not, not our heavens, not the, the space heavens, but the heavens of God. The throne room of God. And he's caught up into paradise and he hears inexpressible words which a human being is not allowed to speak. Talk about a temptation to pride. What is going to help Paul not live in pride after that experience? God says pain. And if I don't allow pain into your life, you're going to become proud and that's going to destroy you. So pain is really helpful for us to keep us from self-destruction. See, pain, if you will, not to make a political statement, but pain is almost like a vaccine injected into your life to keep you from the disease of pride that will destroy you. The injection took place in 2 Corinthians 12. Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given me, a messenger of Satan, Paul says, to torment me. Doesn't that sound nice? That's pain. So that I would not exalt myself. See, he's mentioned not exalt myself two times. He knows self-exaltation is a problem. It was a problem in his life. It's a problem in your life and my life. 
to brag about ourselves and talk about our privileges and talk about our blessings and let everybody know about the trip we just took. Well, Paul went to heaven, top that one, people. Think about it. And God said, time out, Paul. We're not going to go there. We're not going to allow this to happen. We're not going to let pride come in. Here's the thorn. It's some kind of pain, some kind of suffering, some kind of illness. And by the way, it was a satanic thorn. God unleashed Satan to do something. Just like he did to Job, he now does something to Paul. Isn't it interesting though? Satan's besetting sin is proud. He's proud and arrogant and egotistical. And God would use pride in Satan to help keep his servant Paul humble. Talk about working all things together for good. We know that the thorn was at least 14 years, and my guess for the rest of his life, because it was never removed. 2 Corinthians 12, 8. Concerning this, Paul says, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. God, no, please, I'm tired of this pain. God, I don't want to do this anymore. God, it's, it's hard and it hurts me. And Lord, please take it away. And what did God say to him? My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. What's amazing to me is that Paul is this incredible man of deep faith. And he didn't use any name it, claim it philosophy. Please understand that because there's a lot of false teaching out there. There's no one more godly than Paul. No one has a deeper faith and trust and belief in God than Paul. And no one is going to be more fervent in their prayer than Paul. In other words, God at times will keep us in pain instead of answering our prayers. Please understand that. That is fact and that is truth. God is the God that answers prayer. But there are times he says no. Because the pain is more important for us, to teach us, to keep us humble. And in those times, you know what we learn? We learn God's grace is sufficient. And we learn that God's power is perfected in our weakness. So the purpose of pain is to help me be humble so that I am not destroyed by my pride. Pain can be a very good thing. Pain and problems have purpose. Next, we see that proves that my faith is real. We saw this earlier in Romans 5. It's the proof of faith. We know affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, that you're the real deal when you come on the other side, trusting God. We see it in 1 Peter chapter 1. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold which though perishable is refined by fire. So again, there's joy in trials, short-lived trials, various trials, and trials prove what? The character of your faith. That's what pain does. When you come through, you are proven, you are tested, you are genuine follower of Jesus Christ. Every trial purifies us, and every trial proves us, and it's the picture of the metalsmith purifying silver or gold with intense heat, proving that it is authentic. And the testing reveals the value of our faith. Proven character of your faith more valuable than gold. Please understand this. Tested faith is pure gold in the eyes of God. You go through an incredibly time of pain and sorrow in your life and you come through it on the other side trusting in God. You know what God says? You are pure gold. You go through this problem and you don't know how it's going to work out and you claim the promises of God and you're going to trust in God that he's going to work this out for good. And you come through, you know what God sees? Pure gold. That's what you are, child of God. You are pure gold in the eyes of God when you go through the affliction and you keep trusting in him. And faith is tested in the fires of affliction. If my, faith can't be, if my faith can't take the heat, it's not genuine faith. If your faith can't take the heat of pain and problems, it is not genuine faith. And as a matter of fact, there are many without genuine faith. Some of them are here today, maybe even online. They're in churches around the world. Matthew 13 talks about four kinds of soil. Only one of those soils is genuine. 
where the seed of the gospel goes in and produces fruit. The one that is sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yeah, I'm excited to church and I'm going to start reading the Bible and I'm going to jump in a life group and I want to get baptized and blah, blah, blah. And, but there's no root. He's short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he what? He falls away. He wasn't genuine. See, if your faith can't take the heat, it's not genuine faith. Pain and persecution not only proves your faith is genuine, it also reveals false faith. It's very important. Pain, persecution, problems. And sometimes you wonder why somebody has walked away from God and why they don't seem to believe in God and why do they not gather with the people of God anymore? One real reason may be is their faith was never genuine. As a matter of fact, 1 John chapter 2. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they'd belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out, so it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. So the person that you think is a Christian that may just be away from the Lord may never have known the Lord. Please understand the reality of that fact. Now, there are Christians who become prodigals and fall away because of sin. But there are people who were never truly saved. Job was a man of genuine faith. He went through the fires of affliction like very few people. Job 13, 15, he said, even if God kills me, I will hope in him. Talk about proven faith. Job 23, 10, he knows the way I've taken. When he, when he has tested me, I will emerge as what? Pure gold. Friends, come through your trial. Keep trusting God in the pain. And when you come through the other side, God says this, you are pure gold. One more thing we learn. Pain and problems result in life and result in glory. James chapter 112, blessed is the one who endures trials because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him, that crown of eternal life. And glory from God. Listen to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4. We're afflicted every way, not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. And then you jump later into the same passage of verse 17. He says, for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we don't focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. And look what he says. He says, listen, the problems of this life are momentary. That pain, those problems, they're short. And by the way, they're light. They're, just, they're insignificant. Wait, 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 what are you talking about, Paul? You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know how hard this is. You don't understand the pain I'm in. Well, I just want to encourage you to read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 28 sometime. And you'll see this guy beatings he takes, whippings he takes, shipwrecked, stoned with rocks, dangers close to death, hunger, thirst, sleepless nights, hardship, often goes without food, without clothing, he's in prison, daily pressure of concern for all the churches, and that's what he says is his light afflictions. And Paul would say, what are your light afflictions? What are your light afflictions? These are my light afflictions. He says, let's start contrasting this light affliction with the weight of eternal glory that awaits us in heaven. So don't focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is, what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. Don't be focusing on this stuff on this earth. It's not here for long, and it's not going to last. You get your eyes on eternity and in heaven and the things unseen. Similar truth in Romans 8, 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. There's no comparison. There's no comparison. And this is what awaits. 1 Peter 1.7 So that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which is though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So child of God, you come through as gold and you await the verbal recognition and praise of your God and the approval of your faith, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And we await glory. Glory of future life, eternal life, 
resurrected body, glorified body, changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Never to have a pain in your body again. And, and we await honor, that distinction, that blessing, those rewards that come to the faithful at the Bema seat of Christ. So every problem really does have a purpose. And pain and problems, what have we learned today? Number one, they drive me what? To the word of God. And they produce growth, depth, and maturity. And they teach me how to comfort and care. And they purify my life from sin. They help me to be humble. And they prove my faith is real. And the result is life and glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You as believers in the Lord, would you just talk to him right now? Would you trust him in the midst of your pain? Would you tell God you're going to trust him? You're going to keep the faith. You're going to believe his word. That he's going to work this together for good. You don't want to be gooey in the middle. You want to be mature. You want to be complete. Talk to the Lord. Is there anything in your life that needs to be confessed? God doesn't want to discipline you. Make it right with him right now. That attitude that you've had, make it right. Those actions, make it right. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You may be here today and you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ. The way to make it right with God is to ask him to be your savior. And you may say, Scott, I need God in my life. I need forgiveness of sins. I know it. What, what do I need to do? In the quietness of your heart, would you just sincerely call out to the Lord right now and ask him to forgive you and save you? Just use words like these, Lord, I need you. Would you please forgive me of all my sin? God, would you save me from my sin? Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I, I place my faith in you and you alone. I can't save myself. I place my faith in you. Would you please save me and forgive me? And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit at harvest.church.